The Women of Color STEM Conference presents Leadership in Excellence in Diversity, Sustaining the Diversity Momentum in Changing Times, a professional development seminar. Featuring Chief of Equal Employment Opportunity and Diversity for the U.S. Intelligence Community, Rita Sampson. Program Manager of Global Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging for NetApp, Chinwe Abera and District Commander for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Louisville District, Colonel Antoinette Gant. What does it mean to be a diversity leader? Over the past several years, diversity has been a hot topic. However, as times change and business challenges increase, the term has become a stale reference to check off a list of politically correct requirements. As diversity champions, we are challenged to educate, energize, and excite our organization around diversity initiatives. These initiatives build the foundation of creativity, innovation, and transformative results. Diversity and inclusion leaders are key players on the executive leadership team with the specific responsibility of ensuring that human resources are honored, embraced, and ready to contribute great value. Diversity and inclusion leaders are trusted advisors who fundamentally create strategies that result in corporate cultural transformations to effectively support the mission and vision of the organization. To continue to be successful and safeguard the great work and efforts of those before you, you must create a brand and image that reflects high integrity and strong leadership capacity. This workshop will arm you with the skills you need to change your leadership image and effectively function as a vital part of the leadership vision. Without further ado, the Women of Color STEM Conference presents Leadership and Excellence in Diversity, Sustaining the Diversity Momentum in Changing Times, a professional development seminar featuring Rita Sampson, Chinwe Abera, and Colonel Antoinette Gant. Good afternoon, everyone. How are you guys doing today? I didn't hear it. <laughs> Let's start over. How are you guys doing today? Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. Um, this is the Leadership and Excellence in Diversity, Sustaining the Diversity Momentum in Changing Times. My name is Nanmarie Pacheco. I will be the moderator today. I work with the Boeing Company. Um, I'm, I'm a proud Boeing engineer. I work at the Interior Responsibility Center, um, where my team uh, designs and manufactures interiors of airplanes. Isn't it that awesome? Um, so with further say, I would like our presenters and panelists, which I'm so honored to be here today, to introduce themselves so we can start uh, this great dialogue that we will have today. Good afternoon, I'm Rita Sampson, and I am the Chief Diversity Officer for the Office of the Director of National Intelligence within the U.S. Intelligence Community. And uh, it is a pleasure to be here. I am supposedly your keynote speaker for this session, but I am joined by such esteemed panelists, I don't think there's any way we can have a keynote. And I'm just looking forward to an engaging discussion over this next hour and a half. Then we move on to our awesome panelists from today, ladies. Well, I know we have the distinct honor of trying to make sure we keep you guys awake being that you just had lunch, right? <laughs> um, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Antoinette Gant. I, pr 
If you don't know what the audience is going to be like, you always bring your own cheering squad. Exactly. Um, I have the distinct honor of being in the U.S. Army, a commander with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Um, I'm located in Louisville. Uh, Again, so this is my second year actually serving on a panel. Absolutely happy to be here. Um, we have collaborated over the last month, and these are now not just my sisters, but these are my, my friends. Um, and so, I, again, I too look forward to, to actually engaging you today. I do want to highlight that we all put a quote up there. So if you take a look at what we have there, um, each of us decided to give you what our favorite quotes were. And it's very rele relevant to what our topic is today. So hopefully from um, our discussions, you'll find something that you can actually take away from with you. Um, I am Chinwe Ibera, um, Global Diversity, Inclusion, Belonging Program Manager for NetApp. And for those of you that were at the technology uh, luncheon, we are the data authority. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, too, like to switch up my hairstyles. Um, yeah, so uh, I reside in Philadelphia and, um, you know, just uh, this, you know, diversity is just overall needed in organization. It's just part of evolving society. So um, without it, um, I think um, it's going to create more tension, um, more complex divisions. So um, it's important to always have the discussion, be transparent. Um, so just happy to be joined by these two awesome ladies to engage in discussion. Also, we want to hear from you too, because uh, um, as you can see, my quote up there is, there's no finality in learning. That's something my dad used to share, and we can all learn from each other. No matter how much you know, uh, we can all learn from each other. Thank you, ladies. Can you please give, in, give them a big applause? Come on. Thank you. So let's have a dialogue. Okay. So I'll, I'll kick off. So by a show of hands, if you could tell me how many of you know what the work of the U.S. intelligence community is? I love these type of moments because I didn't know what it was either until I got a job in it. <laughs> and it's always good to figure that out as you're, as you're walking through the front door. But I will, I will just say the U.S. intelligence community, you hear a lot about it on the news, and so we kind of go to assumptions of what it is and what we do. Uh, the James Bonds of the world, the, the secret spies, we certainly actually do have people who do that, but the majority of our people are professionals who are dedicated to gathering information. How do we gather the information? We have certain scientific ways of doing that. We have uh, all, that's where STEM comes in, right? Because what is information in our global changing times? It used to be that you just handed a package to somebody under a bridge and they handed you, you know, $500 and then you had another drop spot and you did it like that. that that's how we did uh, information gathering back in the olden days. But in the strategic environment that we're living in, in 2019, our adversaries, our threats, our national security interests are rapidly changing at every single moment in time. I uh, have the distinct honor of leading intelligence, diversity, and inclusion initiatives across 17 agencies. 
And those agencies include the NSA, the CIA, the National Reconnaissance Office, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, under the umbrella of the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. So our agency, how many of you have heard of the ODNI? Okay, that's pretty good. That's actually very good. Uh, it's hard to turn on the news today without hearing about the ODNI. Um, whistleblowers, all of that, but that's sort of a distraction from what our core mission is. Our core mission is to collect information, to inform the president, to inform the national security advisors and councils, and to inform the war fighters, those people who, thank you very much, are on the ground in uniform all over the globe defending our security. And in that realm, the complexity of what we do is, is discerned in what we call the national intelligence strategy. So we're talking about a document that tries to capture what our strategic priorities are. Things like cyber threat, that is very, very real. And it can take down our banking industries, it can take down our hospitals, it can take down our governments. And it is happening not just from state actors, but also from individual actors across the globe. So these evolving threats, threats in space, do you all know how many satellites are floating around <laughs> up there? There are a lot. And every time we need more information, we launch a new satellite. But what are the rules concerning whose satellites are whose? You know about terrorism because unfortunately we saw it on American soil in se on September 11th. And NetApp, we know about data. Because <laughs> there is a lot of data and we're generating data in a way that is, is exponentially unfathomable. A lot of what you hear about the intelligence community is that we are collecting everybody's data every single point in time, and that's all we want to do is ingest data. Well, if you had a treasure trove of data, but you couldn't figure out how to use it, what good is the data? So certainly that's not our effort. Our effort is to identify threats to the United States. So where does diversity and inclusion come into this strategic mission? Well, we know that if we have a hard problem to solve, it's scientifically proven that you solve hard problems with diverse thinking. Because if you have seven people in the room looking at the set and they all come from a certain background or perspective and they all give it a thumbs up, guess what you have? You have failure risk. You have risk of failure. You have exposure. You have the ability to people to exploit your gaps. And so that's one key reason why diversity and inclusion is something that as a core mission we have to do. It's part of our national intelligence strategy to focus on our people, bless you, to focus on our people, to create a more diverse and inclusive workforce. But here's the real deal. The intelligence community is not very diverse. When we're looking at who is sitting around the leadership table, and that is, we know, a risk because the United States is becoming more and more diverse. So do we not need our government to reflect our citizenry? We absolutely do. So we need STEM talent and we need it at all levels in the organization. We need to be able to not have just one or two people sitting 
at the board table, but real diversity reflected around our organization. So I'll just hit a few things that we tend to do to lay the foundation for how we are going to create a more diverse and inclusive workforce. One is you got to write something down for it to be real, right? Because it's just like me every Saturday, I say I'm going to the gym. <laughs> and every Sunday, I explain why I didn't go. But when you write it down and you hold yourself accountable for it and you let people know that this is what I'm really committed to doing, then it is far more likely that you're going to actually do it. So we've written down our commitment to diversity and inclusion for the first time in probably our existence as, it, as it's woven into the national intelligence strategy of the United States, where we talk about our deliberate intent to get more diverse people within the intelligence community. And it's called Enterprise Objective 3, says we're going to seek to forge and retain a diverse, inclusive, and expert workforce. We've written that down. Therefore, we're going to hold ourselves accountable. We're going to be able to measure it against all of the other ways that we do our measures. Because anything that's written in that strategy has to be reported out, has to be measured against. We also are looking at how do you make it a part of your organizational culture? Because how many of you have seen the words diversity and inclusion and caring about people on the, on the walls, but that's not the feeling within the organization? And that's the biggest part of it, right? How do you take those principles and make them your day-to-day -day reality? So we, we uh, talk about our ethical principles. We promoted those probably about four years ago as well. And diversity is one of the principles that every intelligence professional will be held to. A couple other things we did for all of our senior leaders. We said, you're responsible, we are responsible for setting the tone. My job is to report to the Director of National Intelligence. His job is to report to the President of the United States. In our performance objectives and in the performance objectives of every IC senior is a diversity and inclusion performance objective. So at the end of your rating year, you've got to be able to explain how did you do to promote a better, diverse, and more inclusive workforce. And that's not perfect, but it sure is shaping the conversation and shaping the culture in the hallway. And it's got people running into my office yelling, can I be the senior champion for the Hispanic group? Because I've got to write, I've got to do some things, and you've got to show me how, how to do some things. And then the last thing, and I'll, I'll open the, the conversation, is that we realize bias is a very serious problem within the intelligence community. And it's a serious problem in all of our communities. This isn't unique to our, our way of thinking. And certainly we are on a journey of unconscious bias as well, but we're going to evolve from unconscious bias to really talking about those biases that perhaps are not so unconscious, but that they are deliberate microaggressions disrespect and mistreatment that can happen within the workforce and what are those impacts there. So certainly everybody who uh, is a senior executive, who serves on a recruitment effort or works on a, a hiring panel has got to take unconscious bias training. But we can't stop there. 
and we'll talk, I'm sure, as we go on about how we've been able to open up the floor to these discussions where people are always like, we can't talk about race in the workplace. <laughs> yes, we can, and we are. And so if we don't talk about the real challenges and call them by name, then we won't make progress. And that's where we've been. That's our journey is it's mission, it's mission critical. It's critical for the national security of the United States that we get this right. And so that's why we are uh, putting in place the, the efforts that we have now. And I'm looking forward to hearing how others are doing it, how others are making progress. And uh, together, we'll, we'll get there because we have to. Thank you, Rita. Diversity and inclusion revised it. So now our panelists and Rita are gonna talk more about these questions and um, so feel free to jump in. Um, so current landscape from our perspective, why diversity and inclusion today? Um, um, so like I said earlier, we're living in very, having complex divisions and tensions and this spills over into the workplace. Um, if companies, you know, they're failing to create an environment where employees can openly talk about these, you know, situations that they may be facing in their personal lives, um, it's going to discourage like the progress that, you know, needs to be made to really make inclusion core to the company. Um, as far as the landscape of diversity from a corporate standpoint, um, that I will say has evolved, but there's a lot of work to do. But generally, as far as the landscape right now, I think people expect from companies, um, so like, and also like the uh, federal government, shareholders, external community employees, what they expect from companies now um, is to have a diversity strategy in place, whether it's um, leaders um, taking action and um, diversifying their boards, um, creating an action plan uh, to increase uh, representation, women, underrepresented minorities, other various dimensions of diversity, um, being transparent in your EEO1s, as far as what your demographics uh, look like. And also, um, people are hoping that their companies are, are welcome to diverse perspectives. And that's very important. Um, when you have diverse perspectives, you have idea generation. When you have idea generation, you have creativity. And what does creativity do? Innovation. And for a tech company, and for any other company now, innovation is key to your growth of the company, business success, you have high performing teams. So diverse perspectives is very important. And so um, I, I stress on that because it's important that companies create like a psychological safety for people to feel like they can speak up um, regardless of whatever level of management you're in, uh, speak up, share your ideas. Um, I feel like with women of color or un just underrepresented people in general, they may, may be usually the quiet ones um, in the room uh, because they may be afraid to speak up or feel that their uh, ideas are not valued. So um, again, diverse perspective is, is another big um, area where um, people expect companies to focus on. Um, I, Glassdoor recently did a um, survey of I believe a thousand people and 67% of them said when they're evaluating their offers, they look at a company's commitment to diversity. So that's a huge pool of people that companies might be missing out on if their commitment to diversity is not clear or transparent. I want to uh, 
highlight the be transparent. I think that's a very important point for everyone. So the companies have all these like diversity and inclusion and strategies, but we need to help them get there. So the way that we do that is be transparent. So I think that's very important to take away from you. So if you haven't been able to be transparent, how do you work yourself so you can help yourself to get there and your company as well? So I think that's a very important point. And another thing, um, you know, most of the time when people talk about diversity and inclusion, there's really only two things they really look at. And that's you know, when it comes to gender and color. That's not what diversity is. Diversity is more, it, 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 it's more encompassing. It's about transgender. It's about, um, you know, uh, the fact that people with disabilities, there are so many things that are about diversity and inclusion. And are you including them in, in your, your thoughts of what you're actually doing within your organization? People want to be welcome. They want to be welcome into the organizations. They want to feel like that's their family away from home. And the only way that we can do that is to identify what those levels of diversity are, what those diversities are that we have within our organization. How are we going to accept them or actually utilize them to be able to uh, bring us to a better place um, as far as our organization being able to grow? Because as we know, everybody brings something to the table. It's not, we don't have someone in a, a position just to have them in the position. We have them in there because they, they do have something of added value that they can bring. Can I pull the string on transparency? When we polled the audience and I said, who knows about the intel community, that can kind of give you a sense as to what the problem is inside of the intelligence community. And it's a history where we have been very secretive, intentionally secretive. And that's why people don't know what we do. Um, but we had a misfortunate event with the disclosures that Edward Snowden put out there for us, really released a lot of harmful information into the American public and into the world, actually, which is why he's sitting in Russia right now. But <clears throat> I digress. Um, but what it did was give us a wake-up call that people want to go, people want information. And so if they don't know, they'll make assumptions. And what a, what a horrible way for someone to take our narrative on the truth of what we actually do and turn it around to raise suspicion. And it undermines our ability to, to do our operations when people are suspicious that we're misusing our power. So we finally got together in a room and clustered and said, I guess we should be more transparent. I guess we should actually tell people what we do. And that has been a really a big sea change because it also has allowed us to tell people what we're made of, who's in our workforce to some degree. But we purposefully have these principles called principles of intelligence transparency that we had to publish and we had to adopt them because we had to change the way that we think about being in the intelligence community. This is our first year as an intel community at Women of Color in STEM. So you have to think about why weren't we here before? And a lot of it has to do with the way we think about ourselves. So it's rewriting internal narratives within organizations so that you can now think about yourself differently. 
what harm is it for me to sit in this room and say, I am a senior National Intelligence Service officer of the US intelligence community? So not that harmful. And I want people to come, and we want to learn about the opportunities that are here. But before that, it was very, very secretive. And secrets bad, because secrets allow bad behavior to occur in a workplace. And I also have the, the role of being the, the Equal Employment Opportunity Officer within our agency. So I do the investigations of uh, complaints of discrimination under Title VII and, and that. So I see, I see a lot. And when I, I think that uh, we are in changing times, and that was the, the title of this session, but we, we really are in changing times. Um, the way the news comes at us, the way our um, leadership in the country sets the tone for what leadership is, it permeates into the workplace. And I dare say it permeates into most of our offices. And so the question is, do we have the infrastructure in place to make sure we're all still operating on those principles that we've agreed to are, are our aspirational goals? And I think we do, but I think it takes being deliberate and transparent. And then the last thing I'll say is that we finally published our percentages of our demographics. Um, three years ago was the first time we were actually able to publish um, an unclassified demographic report. Now, we still will not tell you the number of people who work in the intelligence community. <laughs> Sorry, that's still classified. But we're at least telling you the percentages of our workforce and what demographics they fall in. And, you know, as Tony said, it's more than demographics, but this is a start because at least we're able to say, well, we're trying to do better. And unless we say better than something, then how do we even hold ourselves accountable? So it's, it's been an eye-opening. Um, to be able to talk about the importance of diversity in a closed environment like the Intel community. And if I could, another thing that I think we should all think about um, is, is not just about the here and now, it's about the future. And one of the things that I look in the back of the room and I see the young, um, I think they're officers or, or to be officers that are actually to be officers that are in the back. And they have to see what looks like them. If you don't see, if you don't have within your organization individuals that others can inspire to be like, then why are we even here? Why do we exist? Because, I mean, thought where it's consistent across the board, that does not generate, as, um, as Chen, we talked about, the innovation that you need. But for us, the importance is the fact that when we have indiv individuals or there's diversity, especially at the leadership levels, that allow others that are up and coming to be able to see um, individuals that look like them, then it's just an inspiring for them to know that at some point in time, I can get there just as well as, as they did. Thank you, ladies. Um, the next uh, topic of discussion, driving. Driving diversity and inclusion from within corporations, government, and academia. I think we kind of, can I make a point of whatever? If you have an empty seat beside you, would you raise your hand? And for those of you who would like to have a seat. Thank you, Rita. Awesome. Keep your hands up. Come on, get you a seat. 
pedal in. <laughs> As you guys are selling, I'll, I'll say one thing from a, a government, well, not even from a government standpoint, it's really from a leader standpoint. In, um, there's a, 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 a saying that I have in my room, in my office, and it says, be the change you want to see. And I, I think that goes across the board if you're talking about corporations, government, or academia. You know, and ask yourself every day if you're in that leadership position, what are you doing to allow there to be a more diverse um, organization that you are actually leading? You know, it, um, one, one thing that I read talked about leadership is talking about initiatives uh, to do things others would rather avoid. That's what leaders, that's what we're there for. We're there to actually have all of the hard questions, the things that people don't want to do. We're there to inspire or move them in those directions. It's easy to come to, to work every day and do the same thing you've been doing for the last 20 or 30 years. But what is it about changing? Culture takes time. So I say the climate. I'm in an organization where I'm only there for three years. So to be able to change the entire culture of that organization is, is not going to happen in three years. But I can change the climate because if they see me as their leader, encouraging them and, and actually directing them into doing things that promotes diversity and inclusion, they're, again, those leaders that actually work under my, my division chiefs, my section chiefs, and my branch chiefs, they see it's important to their leadership. Therefore, they understand and they want to be a part of that as well. You know, Rita talked about that the fact that in, in her organization, they have included into their evaluation system. Well, even for the government, if you, if, how many knows about DMAPs, right? The, the new system that came out. Well, one of ours is diversity. One of our elements is diversity and inclusion. You know, what are you doing? And it's not just going to an ethnic observance. You know, um, I, I talked to one of my division chiefs and they said, well, I go to all the ethnic observances. Okay, that's so great. They have, they have food. <laughs> yeah, At the end. Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Free chicken is always good. Um, but what are you doing outside of that? How are you actually bringing in new talent to the organization that is different than the talent that we've actually had before? You know, so you have to look at it from all aspects. And I, and as, as we stated, that's not just with the government, that's also with corporate America and with academia. You can't have the, oh, you, you can't just continue to, to be, look at our historically black colleges and universities. They're becoming more and more diverse with not just African-Americans at those universities. And the reason why they're doing that is because they too understand that the more diverse you become, the better uh, internally at, of a product of a student that you're actually producing so that companies outside actually want them to, to be a part of it. Yeah. Um, I'll just add from a corporate standpoint uh, in advancing diversity, inclusion, and belonging, because all three are important, um, it needs to be approached or diagnosed via organizational development and cultural development, dealing with the people aspect of things. Um, and so that's embedding all those three things. Um, they're just saying that goes, you know, diversity is action, uh, inclusion is cultural, and belonging is a feeling. So embedding all those three things into the cultural values so people understand that this is the NetApp example, NetApp behavior. Um, the leaders taking action and being role models and leading inclusively, not just with your mind, but with your heart. Um, and also um, building partnership, external partnerships, and learning how to bring in diverse talent is very, very important. And of course, are your systems and, and um, structures in place 
ensuring that it meets the needs of your employees so they could be high performance and bring their whole authentic selves to work. And so there's a variety of things that companies need to do um, to really create a holistic view of diversifying the company for it to really work. Um, so embedding all those things into the whole employee life cycle, um, that's very important. So your benefits, uh, equal pay, um, you know, creating more uh, collaborative teams, um, of course, the hiring, of course, but things go beyond, you know, diversity hiring practices. Once you bring in people, what are you doing to keep them? Um, for a lot of, you know, diverse hires, if, if they don't see that they like the belong once they start in the onboarding process, they're probably going to leave, and this is based on research, probably going to leave within 30, 60 days. So what are you doing to keep your hires for, uh, from a retention strategy standpoint? Um, because again, it goes beyond just, oh, we brought in this many women or um, underrepresented minorities or veterans or you know, LGBTQ talent. What are you doing to keep them? So um, I just think it needs to be approached from an organizational development standpoint. Thank you. So I think all you ladies uh, touch points on all the three main bullets why today, how we drive it, and how the proven approaches to creati creati creating a more diverse and inclusive wor workplace works. Before we move to questions um, and answer, will you guys, ladies, would like to add anything? The only thing I want to add is that it is, it is great to have a senior leader in this position, but I'll tell you the real work is actually done by the employees, by the workforce, because even with these important roles that organizations have established, the reality is they're only 24 hours in a day. And the problems and challenges are gonna require a lot more than one small group of individuals to try to solve. And so the one thing I would say is that when you have an idea, that you take that idea and you force it, you force the audience, you force the discussion, if you're told no, you wait three weeks and you go back again. And then when you're told no, you wait four weeks and you go back again. But you reframe it every time as if it's different until it is done. Because to move mountains, you've got to just continually push. And you'll be surprised at how things can really evolve over time we have a very active LGBT community in the intelligence community. I see pride is their name. And, you know, not that long ago, if you were LGB or T, you would be disqualified from employment because you could not be eligible for a top secret security clearance. And everyone in our organization has to maintain a top secret SCI clearance. So when we look at how far we have come our IC Pride is, is in the midst, and they have me on speed dial. And when I tell them I try to stall them on something, you know, because I just don't have enough hours in the day, <laughs> ask them. <laughs> oh, my God. They will, they have my video phone number, so their videos will pop up, their faces will be like, Bing. hey, Rita, I know it's 7 o'clock and you want to go home to see your family. <laughs> But here's what I need you to do. And I'm like, damn. Okay. <laughs> and then I push it back on them. I was like, if you write it up, if you write it up, 
and you send it to me, I will take it and I will kick open doors and I will fight with the general counsel's office and I will raise holy hell and I will get this done. But part of it is understanding that you have the power and the influence to make things happen at whatever level of the organization you're at and, and, just, and do just that, be heard. Yeah, and just wanna add that we're all capable of being leaders regardless of whatever role you're in, whether corporate school, wherever you are, we're all capable of being leaders. Um, I will say, as far as really driving change in a corporation, um, middle uh, managers matter. Um, they probably have the biggest influence because they're reporting what's going on with their team to the top and then they're spending their day-to-day -day with their, the people that report to them. So they can bring to meetings to leaders to influence, uh, bring you know topics to advance diversity within your teams or the organization. They can really have a powerful voice. So don't forget the middle managers because I think they really have a, a huge role to play because of course you want message to trickle down from the CEO to, you know, down to the rest of the organization, but I think the middle managers are the ones because they're seeing the day-to-day -day and interacting with teams cross-functionally, um, they really can be, you know, bigger influence that, than they really think. So. Um, I think it's really been hi highlighted in the fact that you can't stop. It's very easy to go back to the status quo of what you've always been used to. But when you want change to happen, you have to do just what Rita said. You have to continue to um, revisit it, but revisit it in a different way. It's amazing how if you write something in a different way, how people go, oh, oh, yeah, that sounds really good. And you said the same thing five times beforehand. Um, but you can't, you have to, you can't stop. You have to continue to be resilient in that. And understand that this is not, and when we talk about diversity and inclusion, I know we're at a Women of, Co of Color Conference. It's not just about women. It's about getting the inner team, the entire team together to uh, understand how uh, important it is to to you in whatever section or you know the organization that you actually are part of. Um, I can remember before coming into this job, and by the way, I didn't say because most people think that I have soldiers within my organizations. I do. I have nine. I have 1,250 civilians that actually are with within my organization. So in in saying that, again, you know, you want to make sure that it, it's very diverse. Um, I can say, I, I'm very proud to say that when I first got the, the, what we call the placemat or the chart of what our leadership looked like, it was probably one of the most diverse organizations I had ever been a part of. Um, and I came into their continuing to push it even more um, to say, okay, well, what are, we, what are we doing? You know, why are we only going to these colleges? Um, why do we only go to these job fairs? And, and then to bring them and expose them to things that they have not been exposed to before. A lot of times with diversity and inclusion, what I found is it's, it's people do what they're comfortable with or what they've known to have been done. So if they've never had a person of color within their organization at the top leading the, leading the effort, then that hasn't been something that's been important or things that they felt was a need because they thought, hey, we're doing pretty good here. So when you are, become those people in those positions, you have to expose them to different things that they may not have been exposed to before, like coming to conferences such as this, um, the HENAC, the, the BEA, um, SWE, all, all those different types of, because when they go, then they actually see there's a whole bunch of talent out there 
and we got to figure out how we're going to get it. Thank you. So we want to open the floor now for questions and answer. Before we start, this is your time. So there's a microphone in the middle, but please speak loud. If you, I know it's hard, so please speak loud. So I know that you've been wondering for a question since the beginning, so please go ahead. That's part of you know, embedding that into the company values. When they ask you that question, you can tell that's something that they really value. So um, you can automatically think, um, understand you know, the company stance on it. So uh, that's a great approach or best practice. I wrote it down. I'm taking it back. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to put it in the HR precepts because you have to read these things before you start these interviews. And so the new question for my friends in HR will be, um, do you have a question about diversity and inclusion in your questions of this candidate? So thank you very much. Yes. Yes, thank you. Hello. I'm, I'm with Rita's office. I wasn't plugged in. And I'm not getting paid to yeah, ask the question. I think I'm loud enough. Can I can project. Um, so I'm in the intelligence community. I'm a big mental health advocate as somebody who was diagnosed as an adult with ADHD. Uh, one of the misconceptions that I've struggled with that I think still exists in the intelligence community is that if you have a mental health issue, that you are not able to get your clearance. And if even after you get the clearance, that if you speak up about it, um, that you know things like EAP or the ability to go to a therapist without not being ashamed or you know, saying, I went to the therapist because I'm gonna lose my clearance. I feel like that is as much progress as we have made in the intelligence community, being able to even for me to talk about it openly. I feel that generally speaking, in the intelligence community, we still have a little bit to go in, first of all, allowing people the space. Thanks to people like Rita, I have the space and the ability to, to talk about it. But I was wondering if you guys or anybody in the in here um, can speak to the challenges that the face, the misconceptions about mental health, the implications on your clearance, and what is being done in your organizations to kind of dismiss these misconceptions and allow people to work without the fear of um, reprisal or retribution. So I, I don't know, in, in reference to clearance, um, I can't speak there, but I can speak on the premises of individuals with disabilities or things such as, I mean, I've been deployed three times with PTSD and things of that nature. Um, you know, even the at one point in the Army, the culture was, you didn't talk about it. If you went to a counselor, you didn't let anybody know that you were actually going to a counselor. But now it's become more welcoming to say, hey, I have a problem in, in, our, in an effort to be able to help them to resolve their problem or get assistance so that they can continue to be effective in the workplace. So um, in, in my time, I've actually seen where it has become much more open to be able to talk about what the issue is um, because we don't want it to affect what it is that you're doing in order to help us to be able to deliver, but we also want to make sure that we're taking care of you as an individual. Um, so I, I, yeah, I can, from that aspect, that's where we are. Yeah. And I think from the clearance aspect, everything has a, a continuum, right? So remember we talked about LGBT was out. Now I've seen a lot more of the adjudications come through where they're saying, if you have mental health counseling and services, please tell us because we'll see this as actually a positive factor as opposed to you hiding something, because we don't want people who are susceptible to 
bribery or feeling a certain way. And so, you know, it's not probably trickled all the way down and all the way across, but I can see a sea change in that. And then about a year ago, we actually produced a uh, online training for the whole workforce and uh, we made it available to the public. So it's out there, it's on our website and it's an effort to destigmatize mental health. Really interactive, it won a couple of those cool awards, but it was what we saw, just sort of like what you're saying, Nazareth, is that we need to destigmatize the question of mental health. And so we just kind of took it on as an initiative to do just that. You're listening to Leadership and Excellence in Diversity, Sustaining the Diversity Momentum in Changing Times, a professional development seminar featuring Rita Sampson, Shinway Abera, and Colonel Antoinette Gant. Brought to you by the Women of Color STEM Conference, uniting women in STEM by continuing the press for progress. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Go ahead. Hi, ladies. Um, thank you so much for the information that you brought forth. This is always a great conversation. Um, can you talk a little bit, so I have two questions or two statements. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, um, oftentimes when we view diversity and inclusion is one dimension, right? So it's male, female, black, white, uh, but in order to get that sense of belonging, it's, a t it's more or less pushing the conversation to include intersectionality. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when you have employee resource groups, uh, communities, uh, definitely, you know, they're specifically for African-Americans, women, things of that nature. But to go deeper and to get that sense of belonging, you have to go to multiple dimensions, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to look at being an African-American, working mom, LGBT, all of those other different dimensions, and where you can discover to have conversations about privileges that we all tend to hide behind or, or, um, or more or less use for advantages. So can you talk a little bit about if you're exploring particular programs within your organizations? And my second question or statement is, um, diversity and inclusion is a passion, it's rewarding, but it's challenging. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, what things do you do for yourselves as well as your teams to encourage a, um, a sense of well-being to continue to do the work? Um, I would say, um, as far as, I think, the reason why diversity could be one dimensional for companies. Um, I think they, one thing that companies are, are I, I don't know if they're failing to do, but they need to do a better job of really addressing biases. So providing some form of training, not just training, but action plans after the training on how to mitigate everyday bias. So giving employees tips on how to reflect on how they interact with people day to day to ensure that they're not disrespecting people, they're giving people opportunity to, to speak and hear people's voices, they are able to take feedback. And I think when they address, um, as you know, with bias, you know, it could be unconscious, we all have it. Uh, so I think companies putting greater emphasis, emphasis on bias training, I think that will help have more open 
uh, discussions, those difficult conversations, I think it'll make it better when they put more emphasis on it. And at NetApp, what we're doing is providing inclusive leadership um, learnings for not just leaders, but people at different levels um, on how to lead inclusively. So there are different um, um, inclusive um, behaviors that people um, are being trained or are taught to embed in their day-to-day -day with people. So whether it's being um, curious or um, communication, collaboration, um, and there are, few, there are a few others. But we're really pushing for that on an enterprise-wide basis. And also, um, uh, not just leaders, but all employees, even individual contributors, them also having understanding why diversity is important, doing the um, mitigating bias trainings. So I think once you put emphasis on that, um, people will have, you know, will think more about, especially with like recruiting, having more diverse candidate slates, um, wanting more diverse interview panels as well. So I think to drive change in those areas, you need to address the topic of bias. So that's one one area. The intersectional identity is something that has always fascinated me because I've lived that. I mean, we all live it. But as a woman and a woman of color coming up through my career, it didn't actually have a name on it. I just kind of knew that there was something strange that I was experiencing. And then to, to have Kimberly Crenshaw uh, actually give it a name of intersectionality, it was like, oh, yes, that's exactly it. I don't know if I'm being discriminated against because I'm a woman or because I'm a woman or because I'm a person of color, because I live in both of those identities quite strongly. But I think it's having conversations in the workplace where we merge groups, especially employee resource groups, because a lot of times they will get really siloed into their issue, their issue, their issue. So I, we're always making them work with one another. We make the deaf and hard of hearing employee resource group. They don't really make them. We just invite the table. They, <laughs> like I said, we do. What they, I do what I'm told. But what I lay the foundation for and strongly encourage is a cross collaboration on all of these groups. Um, we are, next month we'll have a summit, a workplace summit. We have our pride summit, I mentioned that. But we are having the African American and Hispanic summit merged together, and very deliberately so, because a lot of the same issues that are faced by one community are also faced by another. And then you'll see IC Pride will be a part of that summit, and our deaf and hard of hearing will be a part of that summit. So we are really encouraging people to get out of their stovepipes and to really collaborate with one another. And then there's a lot more strength when they do, and it becomes more effective, and we get to understand one another's challenges and perspectives and have those aha moments that, wait a minute, I'm not the only group of people experiencing that, other people are experiencing that. And then we say, what can we do together? Let's go see the powers that be. And <laughs> that's how that happens. I'm writing it down because yeah. <laughs> um, one thing that I, we have what's called a leadership development program. So you have levels one, two, and three. One and two are internal to our internal to the district. And it wasn't me nor other of uh, the leaders that came up with this. It was actually the, um, the one of the leadership uh, groups that went through the last cycle. They established what's called a core community. And it's for two purposes. It's one, because of the fact that we have engineering, you've got contracting, you've got resource management. So you've got all these people that live in their own little worlds that never come together. You gotta work together, but you never come together. 
So this was the opportunity not just for them to come together from that aspect, but also to come together in the form of different cultures to be able to come together. So now um, there are various things that are posted, you know, on our intranet that says, hey, we're having these type of things and, you know, everybody is actually welcome um, to allow there to be co collaboration in that format. And the hope is that once that's done, then not only are they collaborating outside of work, but now they feel more comfortable collaborating internal to work and, and can be able to, you know, help. I, I always say the number one, we got to deliver the program. So in order to be able to deliver the program, you got to know who you're actually working with. And this, of course, is the opportunity to do that. And what's really proud for me was that it wasn't the leadership that came up with it. It was the people within the organization. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I would like to add, if I may, um, diversity and inclusion is really challenging, as you say. Um, for some reason, in the Boeing company is super diverse, especially on commercial airplanes. I land myself in a team where I was the youngest, only female, only Hispanic, and opinions were very different from my team. There were very technical focus in one thing, risk adverse, and I'm the other side. I want to <laughs> see the bigger picture. I want to facts and data so I can know how many risks can we take? How can we move faster? So for me, that was challenging, and I found myself in a corner, quiet, because I didn't fit in. That's how I felt. And my mentor came to me and said, who are you? Where is Nan Marie? You have to be you, never lose you. And I'm like, okay, well, being me, what it, what it meant. Sometimes I have to pause myself because I was thinking in Spanish. <laughs> um, uh, in the mornings, I arrive and say buenos dias, and they were like, oh, okay, good morning, okay, buenos dias. Eh. And also, that was like, hey, let's talk. Let's put the facts and data together, and let's take risk. Let's take small risk here, let's take small risk there, and see how do we progress. And now I am in a place myself when I receive buenos dias from other people. Sometimes I'm doing presentations, and the director of my organization is like, she's pausing, she's thinking, she's translating. So they acknowledge that um, and they want to take risk. They want to change things. So I think be you, be that change and other people will start following you because they will like also to, you know, put their thinking, put their language, put what they are and everything is going to work together. Please go ahead. All right. Hello, my name is Alicia Mack and I work at the Kohler Company and we're located in Wisconsin in Kohler, Wisconsin, which is really small. And one of the things that's challenging or that I hear from HR and other people that I talk to about diversity and inclusion at the company is, oh, the location. The location of where we are prohibits us from getting more diverse candidates. And, you know, and it's a slow moving ship. You know, Kohler has been this way for a long time. What are some techniques or some suggestions that I can take back to HR and say, hey, I was just at a conference and they know how to do this. Let's take note and start making some change around here. So one, one thing I would say is drop a few of those people into the middle of a conference like this. So Tell we them, do have some. You've, you've been invited and, to speak. Okay. You've, inv you've been invited to lead a mentoring circle at this conference. You force contact with people who are not like you. And that, that then begins to mitigate their, their fear and help them challenge their assumptions. We had a, uh, 
what was the conference, the HBCU Week conference in DC, and I invited our, our lead for um, a subject area. I won't, I won't totally out him. But his first question to me was, okay, I'll do anything you ask me to do, because I'm a bit of a bully as well. <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> I've become self-aware that that's my, my persona, because I'm from Norfolk, but okay. <laughs> in any event, um, I said to him, I have an opportunity for you to participate in this. I know you will. Here's the date. And he's like, okay, 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 I'll do it. But can I ask you a question? What is an HBCU? And I was like, okay, teach him all. This is going to be great. Sit back. <laughs> I mean, because it is, people are coming from their, their experiences. And if you have a limited experience, which we all have a limitation on what we know. Right, we're all limited in that sense, and so give them some grace, but put them right where they'll be in contact, purposefully, with, outside of their comfort zone. But say it with a smile so they'll trust you. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm in HR, and so people always ex they expect me to, you know, push diversity and everything. But what I do as far as my strategy is, I leverage those diversity champions that are not in HR to work with other leaders. So they're going to be the ones inviting those other leaders to these kind of conferences or building partnership, things like that. Because once I do it, they're the, oh, here comes HR again. So what I do is I really collaborate with our diversity champions, which we have a few over there, um, to work with their leaders um, to really help drive the change. Because although, although I, I bring the education and awareness, um, I'm not the decision maker for people's business units. So. Um, I really have to leverage these key diversity champions to, to be influencers. So I start with them first. So have your core group of diversity champions that you can work with to really make that impact within your different businesses. Besides wine. Yeah. <laughs> W-I-N-E or W-H-I-N? W-I-N-E. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Besides this, that. <laughs> this space can be really draining because <laughs> you're dealing with people. Forget the yeah. business operations. You're dealing with people day to day. So it can be really draining, but I come across awesome diversity champions that are not in HR. They're engineers, um, uh, product managers, finance folks, they're, they're all over. So I think when I come across those people and see their passion, it keeps me going because I see that they're looking to drive change. And um, in, as far as uh, projects or initiatives we engage in, when we see the results, it keeps me pushing. Um, but I think, um, I think it's just really leveraging those people to really keep you keep the momentum going. At least that's what I've done from my I, my team right now. It's just it's just me right now for diversity inclusion. So really, my my team is these key champions that I partner with on a day to day basis. Yeah. And and in all seriousness, besides, but um, just having a real sense of optimism mm -hmm. in your in your spirit, um, because I just believe in the core mission of what we do, and often the organization will not necessarily promote diversity and inclusion or human resources. I don't know if you. Sometimes that's not your primary line of business, so you have to actually have a fundamental belief that what you're doing matters, no matter what anyone says, and then you have these glimpses of light and hope that come randomly out of nowhere. Those are the things that continually um, energize you. And then I also 
compartmentalize extremely well. And I call a distraction a distraction when I see it. And that way you're not going down that rabbit hole or being led off and spun off into things that really don't matter. Okay, you and you are a distraction. I must stay focused. Right. And so really just in your mind there. And then seriously, though, try to, try to sleep. <laughs> try, try to get rest. That goes to, for all of us. I mean, we are a sleep-deprived nation, right? And so those crazy cell phones and that Netflix and all of this other stuff, <laughs> it's, it is all-consuming, and it is very dangerous. I, I, um, I want to just piggyback off what Rita said and celebrate those small wins. Yes. When you do have those wins, um, be able to electrify them. Um, my, my kids and even some people in my organization say, ma'am, you are so over the top. Because if we've done something, I want everybody to know about it. And I want them to understand how important it is. It could be the smallest thing, but it has made a difference. Mm -hmm. And in making that difference, you know, you celebrate them being a part of it. And mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think that just creates that, that culture or that climate of saying, I say climate versus culture, um, because then they, I mean, they want to be a part of that. Please go ahead. So my name is Glauciani. Uh, I work for Boeing in South Carolina. I don't know if he, some of you have been South Carolina, but when I first come over here to US, it was like six years ago uh, from Brazil, and I went to DC to school, Howard Common College. What's an awesome school? I learned English pretty well, like really quick. And then I met my wonderful husband. Unfortunately, he's not here today. <laughs> and like 20 years ago, he, her family is a Navy family, so they had this house in South Carolina. And he decided to go back to South Carolina because it's really expensive living in DC. Yeah. And for us to start like wedding, uh, marriage, and not pay rent, it was much easier. And, but I was already in the vibe of DC, a lot of diversity, things to do. And when I got in South Carolina, like five years ago, I was trying to look for a school to keep it with my English. Not fine. They say, "Oh my gosh, where I am? I'm 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 in US." <laughs> was just different, and like just one year in DC, and after um, five years and work for Boeing now, I can tell, and maybe I can help you, Alicia. The work that Boeing have been doing in South Carolina, and like bring different, like diverse people from all over the world, and work with the community. Uh, which is cool. Sometimes, in the beginning, uh, I remember, and you have over there, Boeing try help, uh, of course, the, go to, to the government, right? Help with, with the taxes, work in the community, and get a break, employ people from the community. So in the beginning, it was hard for Boeing because get the qualified people was hard. So they tried to invest in education, and the adult education, they help a lot. And, but now uh, and it's working more, and I, wor I, I work a lot in the community and volunteer works, and it's, it's bring uh, the family, the people from the community to believe in themselves more, in their kids, and put kids, and they have a summer uh, steam for the kids from the school, and they really incentive, it's every single week you can see kids from all over the, the schools in the district, district schools. Like you can see, like, I, I didn't have this opportunity 
when I was at school. And like I, today, I see things at Boeing that I wish when I was a kid I would have. And I'm really grateful because Boeing do this kind of job. So maybe uh, bring the kids. Sometimes it's hard work, yeah. It's hard work with the parents, but with the kids. And then when the parents see the, that kid is happy and they have a future, oh my gosh, it's like incredible how the things work. And it's amazing to see in the summertime kids trying to do better, try just be out of trouble. <laughs> because unfortunately, some communities is really hard. And it's just a kid at school, the parents just, it's really, it's really hard for the teacher because they need, besides just be a teacher, they need to babysit, they need to be a parent because sometimes the kids even don't have a parent. So um, I really admire what the work, what point does and how the incentive also the uh, employees should go there and they actually if we are work out in the community is of course is my time off of work but going pay my hours over there for whatever is cool like we are in. so it's really interesting what what they do over there so what I just I just want to share this yeah, with you guys you. because of course I'm really proud to work at Boeing and but I can tell you that sometimes when you have like, we have a lot of diversity uh, in groups and they really incentive us to participate of that, to be, sometimes they recruit you and they also um, make you promoted easily because if you work in diversity group, it can be women, veterans, uh, Boeing generations, mm -hmm. um, whatever, everything that they have over there. And, just to work in that way, and sometimes it's easy, uh, it's hard because they always talk about the um, US way to think. <laughs> and for people that coming from outside of the US, like Brazil is a country really like peaceful. <laughs> it's not like when you see um, there is a war, like Brazil is gonna be invited to help. US. It's not that way. We stand up for ourselves, for our beliefs. So it's not every country that is welcome to the US. So sometimes when I participate from uh, the veterans um, community and they want to talk about, and like they already have this thing, like the behavior, oh, we are working, we are thinking that way because we have the deprivation for food for a long time. And like I need to think like they think because in Brazil, we have another kind of problems, and but we don't have the same background. So it, uh, diversity is not, as a lot of people say, people talk about color, gender, but there's much more, especially when you bring other people from other countries, and like even US history, like there is a different kind of um, education, what they, what they do, that is awesome, I really like it, but Diversity is like deep that we need yeah. to do, but mm -hmm. I think big companies like Boeing and other companies that you have here, you guys can change a lot of the culture from one state because I haven't seen this in South Carolina just in five years. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. And thanks yeah. for reminding us, giving back to the community and how we can inspire uh, the kids mm -hmm. to study in STEM as Tony, as Tony said earlier. I think that's a great point. So thanks for sharing. Um, please come come forward. Uh, just a time check. We have 20 more minutes to make sure that we address everybody's questions and comments. Please go ahead. Hi, this is more of a two-part question. My name is Ms. Shivan Second Class Gibson from the United States Naval Academy. 
Um, I can't speak for all service academies, but I will speak for the Naval Academy. I know that we have really been increasing the amount of diverse students and midshipmen that we let into the academy over the years, especially because the officer corps, specifically in the Navy, is not very diverse at all. But how do we shift the conversation from doing diversity because it's such a recent topic and it's very important and it seems like it's the biggest hype in the news right now is keeping people, keeping companies diverse, keeping the military diverse so we can keep up to doing it because this is going to generate ideas, this is going to create a better and positive work environment and specifically for the military, most of the enlisted forces in the Navy are diverse and they're minority based and it's very disparaging to see that your entire officer corps doesn't really look like the people that they're going to be leading. And then the second part of that question is, at the academy, as we're including all these diverse midshipmen, yes, we've knocked down the door and we're here, but we're not really treated equally. It feels like we're here, but there's way more eyes on diverse midshipmen than there would be, per se, on other midshipmen. Um, so how do we not just say we're including and being diverse, but also treating those new diverse members equally, the same way that you treated everybody else before they got there. Okay, I'll take this one. <laughs> about the academy. Um, understand that that's just the nature of the beast. I mean, um, it, it, it's not going to be equal. And it's not just in the military, it's in the civilian world as, as, as well. Um, I, you know, I've always been told you've got to be three times better, not twice, but three times better than your counterparts that don't look like you. And um, there will always be, I, I mean, I, just being real, yeah. there's always going to be someone looking at you a little bit different than they, than they have been the, anyone else. But what we do is we actually find mentors, we find sponsors. Sponsors don't have to look like you. Um, and sponsors, uh, there's a difference between a mentor and a sponsor if you don't know. So your mentors, are, I'd say that those are people that give. They give you all this advice. They tell you everything that they want you to know. You know, you sit down and you just have a conversation with them. Um, they, your sponsor is someone who says, you are going to do this. Or you don't even know they're recommending you for positions that you have no idea that you're even being rec recommended for. Those are your sponsors. So having candid conversations with them um, as well as your counterparts to know that you've got to continue to lift each other up um, in whatever you're doing. I'm not a I'm not an academy grad. I'm a ROTC grad. So um, and and I went to an HBCU. So my my story is a little bit different. Um, however, in knowing after I actually became in the military, I understood that you know my counterpart can do the same thing that I did, but would be scrutinized much less than I am. So therefore, you have to be careful about what, is it, what it is that you do, when you do it, even to the, the, the general officer's rank, okay? So, um, and how you actually do it, but understand that everybody is always looking at you, but you've got to make sure that you've got a board of directors or a group of individuals that are there to be able to hold you and keep you accountable, and you keep them accountable too. I don't know if I answered both of them, but. Yes, ma'am. Thank okay. you. All right. Yeah, I mean, those are pearls of wisdom, right? So thank you for that. I mean, and it, it applies to everybody. We've had um, last year's Women's Summit, we, we focused on, um, we had about 500 or more women present, and our theme was around networking. 
and it goes for everyone, no matter how, what age you are or whatever, you have to assess your network. And if your network looks pretty much like you, your go-to people look exactly like you, then you have a crisis. You're in a crisis and you don't even realize that you have pretty much boxed yourself in. So you also have to very purposefully, as uncomfortable as it may be, have a more diverse network intentionally. And many uh, minorities, people of color, people who don't, or maybe not a part of the dominant group, depending on your organization, will retreat as opposed to leaning in and use that word, but, but grabbing others and being a part of other networks because that's how organizations work. Um, I attended the College of William & Mary and was very, very alone on campus. It has now been, don't tell anybody, 30 years because <laughs> I'm going to my reunion. And that college has turned around like it just almost makes me cry how they're celebrating diversity like crazy. But then you talk to the students and guess what? We're still having the same challenges. So I think the reality is this is not easy work and it will take time. There is progress being made, but it's everybody's work to do. You know, so it's get your network yeah because you're going to see them 10 years from now yeah they're going to pop up everywhere yeah i was just going to say it's important to expand your tribe um for things to change you need allies on your side so again i i echo what they said as far as looking at the people around you how diverse are they different experiences backgrounds um not just gender or race but just different experiences age um look at there's always going to be an ally who will support you. You just have to look, network, and, and it'll, the relationship will automatically happen. So especially with these conferences, um, anywhere you go, just look to make a, a connection because you never know how that person's gonna be impactful in your life uh, to help you grow uh, in your career. Uh, I'm Harman, I'm from Siemens Phelan Software. Uh, it's a CAD designing uh, engineering company. And uh, I have been with this company for like seven and a half or eight years. And my question is specific to like not all diverse group, but like specific to uh, being a woman in uh, dominantly like men engineering, like as you all know that it's engineering field over here is at least dominated by men. Uh, so within a span of seven or uh, eight years, I have actually had an opportunity to work with uh, both male managers as well as female managers. And uh, there have been uh, times where I did not see many women leading, like, you know, uh, at that stage. And then I'm very fortunate right now to be in that position where I actually see strong women leading in strong positions. Uh, but my question is that while, like, reaching over here, like, um, and while dealing with, like, uh, my managers, like, uh, who were male, like, I found it like very, uh, sometimes very difficult to uh, not, I found it difficult, like I have other friends as well who are all like women engineers in different aero, uh, aerospace companies or different companies. And sometimes we feel it like it's very difficult for you to express yourself or like oh, maybe more that you are, um, you get disappointed easily because 
either you are not given those opportunities or you are not understood, or even if you feel you have the talent and you're doing your three times best, you know, and uh, you do not really feel that uh, opportunities are being given to you and they're like preconceived notions about you because like you're one of the few, right? And there are biases which you do not know how to deal with. And I've seen that like in my, not only me, like, you know, while I was uh, working towards uh, uh, my field, it's like, it's like, it's happening with all my friends. Um, some of them are um, engineering managers and uh, they are dealing with their managers. Some of them are aerospace engineers and they are dealing in their own companies. And um, so it's just like how it's, yes, uh, I actually do get your point. You have to be three times best. Uh, you like you can have all these trainings like you know uh, for all your employees that okay and these are diversity trainings right but then how do you as an individual because I see that many of my friends you get disappointed and there get, get comes a point you're like is it even worth it like you know I don't know if it's worth like putting so much pressure on myself or like you know even when I see other people like because like maybe I don't know like you know other sometimes uh, you feel that other people are just like moving on or better understood but maybe mean it may it maybe it might not be but like you know you see the kind of same kind of feelings with all your friends that you're kind of not really uh, like getting all those opportunities or being there even if you're doing your best like how do you change that in your management like what do you do I'm going to give 30 seconds because I know we're running short on time. And this is kind of a warning. There's something called stereotype threat. And Claude Steele is one of the big professors who's written about this. But there's something that happens to people psychologically when they're anticipating what other people think about them. And it actually diminishes your performance. So we all have an understanding that we all hold certain stereotypes about us. and if we are subconsciously trying to mask our way around falling into that stereotype, then we're not even at our best. So think about to what degree is your mind playing tricks on you? And try to find ways of saying, okay. And I'll give you an example because we're all women of color have this stereotype of being, well, for me, being black, an angry black woman, right? So how do you then navigate around the stereotype when you're communicating so as to not perceive yourself to be an angry black woman? The problem there is that you're spending too much energy on trying to not be this, and you're not really focusing that 100% energy on what you're trying to convey and communicate because your mind is thinking, I gotta make sure that I'm not moving too much, that my voice is not modulating too much. And it is a real dynamic threat that's occurring and it's not what anybody has done to you, it's what you've done to yourself. So that doesn't answer your question there, but it just sparked me to think about that. Your question is, you just need a strong support system network, a good sister girl circle <laughs> yeah. that can say, you know, that can validate what you're experiencing and then strategize on how to counter. And also think about your end goal, like what are you trying to achieve as far as your career track? So I think that would, would keep you motivated even, even through hard times. This is where you're trying to uh, get to. Um, so, so again, the opportunity might not be there right now for the 
team you work at or maybe even the company. So I always encourage people, take charge of your own career, um, build your skills. Your work will speak for itself. So don't put so much energy on what you, like what she said, like what you think people are thinking about you or what you see. Just focus on your end goal, what you're trying to achieve and keep just giving stellar performance. And it, it'll, it'll pay off. Maybe not at this company. Maybe I'm not telling you to leave your company. <laughs> Yeah, but do take charge of your own career. I'm going to give a, a personal story here and try to keep it short. So I think it throughout, I've got 25 years in the Army. Um, and throughout my time, I think I've been very competitive with those who are either with me or a, a, a little, some that have actually been advanced ahead of me. And I would ask myself all the time, what is it that I'm doing that they're doing that is allowing them to get promoted before me? Or you know, we have this thing called below the zone. So you're getting promoted a year ahead of what you actually should. If you put my record up against theirs, it looks the same, other than my name is Antoinette and theirs might be Anthony. Okay, but, um, and I felt like I was doing just what we just talked about. I was putting all that pressure on myself. But guess what? At this point in time, I'm the senior African-American engineer officer in the United States Army. <laughs> so I, I said that to say when it's your time or when it's their time, it will come. But we have to be patient and allow, from a religious standpoint, God to work his magic how he wants to make work his magic. Thank you. So we have six more minutes just for everybody's awareness. We Please go ahead. <laughs> Good afternoon. I'm Tabitha McGriff with Huntington Ingalls Industries. Um, with technology that changes so rapidly and can really revolutionize how an industry or a team does business, and with workforces that are so diverse and inclusive, multi-generational, various backgrounds, perspectives, what tips or tools can you offer to leaders to ensure that that changing technology and integrating that into a company doesn't take away from that inclusion and that sense of belonging because of all those diverse factors in the workplace. You're the belonging <laughs> expert. Oh, I don't know about that. Um, I would say is, again, f making employees feel like they're valued and respected is very important. It, you know, you can have diversity and inclusion, but they have to feel like they, they have a seat at the table. Um, if you want high-performing teams, if you want people to collaborate, well together, drive that innovation, especially for like a technology company where innovation is key. Um, of course, for us, staying up with the current technology trends is very important, but we need people to come to work, be themselves, and that way they would have higher performance so we can have business success. So I think, um, again, leading inclusively, that's what we do for, with our leaders is, what are you, how are you engaging with your employees? We just implemented um, an initiative where we threw away um, performance ratings. So at least we're, we're piloting that right now to see how much that works, but you're more than just you know, a rating. So we need to have more quarterly conversations, even more than quarterly uh, with our employees every day to, to really understand you know, what their day-to-day -day is like, how the managers can help them uh, to, to ensure that they keep thriving in the workplace. Um, did that answer your question as far as the technology piece? And, yeah. So diversity by itself brings conflict, right? Because if you're all the same in the room and you're all getting along and you're all having the same idea, then, you know, kumbaya. But 
it's almost to get the benefit of diversity, you have to let the conflict occur. You have to let the dissenting opinions occur. So then you have to train leaders to invite dissent into the conversation. And that's something that it really goes to that mid-level manager Shemway uh, was talking about. You have to, in your teams, make sure that the quiet voices at the table, at the end of the conversation, turn to that person and say, you haven't said anything to you. I know you have something to say. Invite people into the conversation. And then you have to moderate that conversation because if it conflicts with what the loud voices at the table have said, then you have to give them some strength to equal that. And that's how you facilitate the benefits of diversity and inclusion. And, and for the Intel community, we have um, analytic integrity principles because the question is a question that's a matter of life and death. So if these five people agree and the one person is silent, but they see something that the others don't see, then literally, people can lose their lives. And so it is essential that in all of our analysis that we take on the opposite perspective, that we red team it and we red sell it and we make sure that before we give this information to the president that we are solid, that this is no political in the information, no politics in the information, only facts and that all of the, the gaps and things have been identified. And that's, I think that's in training and how you lead. It's leadership one-on-one. -on -one. Thank you. I just want to go back to the first slide. Um, so we all, after this conversation, look out how the Women of Calling Conference um, keep pressing for progress. It's related to sustaining the diversity momentum in changing times. So in order to keep that momentum, we will need to keep pressing for progress. So I would like to thank you all for coming here. And I would like to give a very special thanks to these inspiring ladies for being with us today. So remember to follow Women of Color Technology in social media. Also, you will receive a survey through the registration. So please fill the survey so the women of color know in the future how do you find value and how keep improving. Um, we have the room for about four more minutes, but there's another session. So if you want to keep talking, networking, please do so outside so the other teams can come in. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to Leadership in Excellence in Diversity, Sustaining the Diversity Momentum in Changing Times, a professional development seminar featuring Chief of Equal Employment Opportunity and Diversity for the U.S. Intelligence Community, Rita Sampson, Program Manager of Global Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging for NetApp, Shinwe Abara, and District Commander for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Louisville District, Colonel Antoinette Gant. If you have enjoyed this presentation, be sure to attend the Women of Color STEM Conference. For more information on how you, your company, or organization can take part, visit www.womenofcolor.net. For college students, contact us at 410-244-7101.